from public radio. Preventing truth decay. Truth decay. Next on Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. We bring on two of the five most powerful women on the planet. One is a Nobel Peace Prize winning doctor. And when radiation lands on the soil, the roots of the grass suck it up and concentrate it. And then the cow eats the grass concentrated thousands more times than the cow's milk. And when we eat a Hershey's chocolates or drink that milk, that can cause breast cancer. And the other is shifting the food supply for a billion people in India, Europe, and soon the United States. Come to India. Come and see how women in the most deep poverty never give up their power. Their power is theirs to reshape their lives. Power is not something someone else gives you. Power is something you exercise through your life. How powerful women are changing the world. It's next. At Great American Western Bank, we have a message for our customers. We're sorry. And we're changing the way we're doing business. No longer will we slowly take money from your checking and savings accounts in order to pay for corporate parties at strip clubs. That's just not the way our founder Theodore Waldschmidt did business when he founded this great company in 1907. So give us another shot. We're recommitting ourselves to family values. That's Great American Western Bank. CL. We have taken over your radio. We are now in control. We can crank up your radio's volume, or we can turn it down so low that you can barely hear it. Then we can turn it back up and mess around with the bass level. Or we can crank up the trouble. We can blow out your left speaker. Oh my God. We can even make your radio sound like a broken CDDDDD. We are in total charge. We are in complete control. We are Reality Check Live. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can also follow us and like us on all social media at Reality Check LV, LV for Live, at Reality Check LV. Also live streaming on Facebook, also live streaming on YouTube. In this edition of Reality Check Live, I want to pay another homage to women. Because women are truly the solution to many of the problems that we have. It's interesting, when we look at our own constitution, we find out that the Iroquois Indians had one-third of their elder council were just women. And the reason for that was, if it's all just men and there's a little skirmish, you got to go kill each other. And then find out what the problem was after the fact. And having this third being women, it went through this filter. And the women would ask questions like, well... Why are they upset? What do they want? Oh, they're hungry. Well, why don't we grow crops together and we'll have twice as much food? Seems kind of silly, but our founding fathers actually paid attention. And this is how we get our Supreme Court, the same sort of triad. And this Supreme Court is the one that slows things down. They have to write questions in longhand. They have to talk about it the way women would. And it actually has, well, up until recent times, it's been fairly effective. That said, as we look at nuclear weapons, whether they're in North Korea or here in the U.S. or Great Britain or France or China or India, Pakistan, it doesn't really matter. They're all there and they're all ready to go at a moment's notice, it turns out. Well, some cities and states are taking their own initiatives to protect the world. And these cities and states are mostly led by women. Here in the States, launching a nuclear weapon does depend on just one trigger finger. It turns out to be that of our own Donald Trump. 
As we jump to Australia, let me introduce one of my superheroes, that being Harvard's Dr. Helen Caldicott. Caldicott, a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, her organization a Nobel Peace Prize winner. She's written multiple books, has met with multiple presidents, runs a global organization, and has been named by the Smithsonian as among the 20 most powerful women in the world and found the one way to stop atmospheric nuclear testing... (laughs) And, Willie, you hear how she did it. It's classic. And if you want the shortcut to get, say, a Congress full of men or a Parliament full of men to respond in about three minutes or less, the trick she used is the one to use in the future. Trust me on that one. Dr. Helen Caldicott, I want to welcome you back to Reality Check Live. Thank you very much. For 35 years, you've been out there uh, helping create awareness about the nuclear age in which we live, and so many of us sort of haven't really been paying attention. We think it's, well, it's a power plant here and there. The Russians have something. So what if we have 12,000 multi-headed thermonuclear warheads? Big deal. No problem. What's on TV tonight? But it's a little greater than that, isn't it? It really is. Um, you've got them targeted. I mean, nothing's changed since the Berlin Wall came down, in fact, when we were all so frightened. You've got them targeted with over 5,000 hydrogen bombs on hair trigger alert, and they've got you targeted with 2,500. To understand what that means, you need to know there are only 240 major cities in the Northern Hemisphere. Robert McNamara and I wrote a piece to the LA Times to say there were 40 hydrogen bombs targeted on New York City alone. Every town and city with a population of 50,000 or more is targeted with at least one bomb. And one bomb on New York, the Russian bombs are big, would just vaporize and burn everyone and kill almost everyone in New York. So it's still as insane and mad as it was during the Cold War, but it's worse because, as you pointed out, nobody knows, nobody's frightened. The Russian early warning system is falling apart. Yeltsin got to within 10 seconds in January 1995 of blowing up America by accident, mistaking a Norwegian missile for an American missile. I remember that clearly. As, yeah. a, as a matter of fact, this continues to happen. It does. As the uh, the components wear down, as a matter of fact, in some of our nuclear power plants here, the lifespan of certain switches is about 15 years. So what General Electric does after 15 years is they simply re-evaluate the lifespan of the switch, say it's now a 25-year switch, and leave it in. Oh, yeah. that's Well, just let me finish the nuclear weapons thing first. Every day our lives are in gross jeopardy. We're on the brink of annihilation, but we don't think about it. As you say, what's on television tonight? And that's called psychic numbing or manic, manic denial. And I think we all do really know subliminally that our lives and our children's lives and indeed the whole of creation is in terrible jeopardy, but we don't take it on. And, you know, that's practicing passive suicide. And in in medicine, if a patient is suicidal, we hospitalize them. So in a way where the society is, is, is sick at the moment and we need to take this on. And I think that's one of the reasons that... Uh, 30% of Americans are on antidepressants because they know things are pretty grim, but they're not facing it. And you, <laughs> you feel a lot of joy when you face it. When you drive by a nuclear power plant, you see all this steam at about 3 in the morning bursting up into the air. They say it's nothing but pure steam. Is it just pure steam? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's just water coming out. But you also need to know that nuclear power plants consistently emit hundreds of thousands of curies of radiation every year. 
there's an inversion system near the reactor and you live near a reactor or drive by, you can breathe this stuff into your lungs and the, that these gases are absorbed from the lungs and they're very fat soluble. So they tend to migrate to the abdominal fat pad and the upper thighs and that's where the testicles and ovaries are situated. They're very high energy gamma emitters and they can irradiate the genes in the eggs and sperm, which has great significance. Dr. Helen Caldicon, I understand the worst is uh, plutonium, which we see still exposed in the air at Fukushima and other places. Certainly nobody wants to bury it in this country. And according to your books, it really is the scariest of all. Plutonium-239, which is made in nuclear power plants, is so dangerous that hypothetically, if you took one pound of it, you can't, but if you could, and put that pound in every person's lung on Earth, parts of it, that would be enough to give every person on Earth lung cancer. And each, each reactor makes 500 pounds of plutonium a year. So what you're saying is one pound just yeah. spread out over the entire planet. Yeah. One pound of plutonium spread over the entire planet would kill all the humans. Well, if you could actually put it in the lungs, not yeah. just leave it on the soil and the like, you can't do it. But that gives you an indication of its toxicity. Its half-life is 24,400 years, so it lasts for half a million years. And it's got a predilection for testicles, actually. Plutonium is still falling out from the stratosphere because of weapons testing in the atmosphere that Russia, China and America conducted in the 50s and 60s. So every male has a tiny, tiny amount in his testicles. The incidence of testicular cancer is rising and also it tends to locate just next to the cells that form the sperm and it will mutate the genes in the cells of the sperm increasing the incidence over generations of genetic disease. Um, plutonium also is handled like iron by the body. It's stored in the bone where it causes bone cancer and leukemia because the red blood cells have hemoglobin which are made with iron. It's stored in the liver where it causes liver cancer. It actually crosses the placenta where like the drug thalidomide can cause a normal embryo to develop gross malformations like no arms and no legs and the like. And you only need 10 pounds to make yourself a nuclear weapon and you can get the design on the internet, buy the stuff at the local hardware store. All you need is a lump of plutonium the size of a grapefruit and you've got yourself a bomb. So as each large reactor makes 500 pounds of a year, theoretically, a country with a nuclear power plant can make 50 nuclear weapons a year. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can also follow us on all social media at Reality Check LV, LV for live, at Reality Check LV. Also download our brand new free app from the App Store, Reality Check Live. Talking right now with Nobel Peace Prize winner Dr. Helen Caldicott, known commonly as the mother of the anti-nuclear movement, author of many, many, many books, we're getting the 411 on all the nuclear bombs, where they're pointed, how they work, and even how nuclear power plants work. Many of us think they just have some kind of nuclear explosion that makes electricity and don't know that they're nothing more than a gigantic water boiler with a lot of radiation and one little oops, and we end up with Fukushima's all over again. You've got 103 of them all around, they are extending their lifespan. The metal becomes embrittled and can crack from the intense radiation. As you say, the switches are not working properly. And I've got a friend 
who is a nuclear engineer at the Union of Concerned Scientists, who says it's not if but when there's going to be a major meltdown in America. Well, we just had, uh, I have a friend who is from the Czech Republic who just had his thyroid cut out because it was cancerous. The guy is 29 years old. Oh, my God. And, you know, was obviously a, a teenager when Chernobyl happened. Yeah, God. Well, um, over 2,000 children have had their thyroids removed for thyroid cancer in Belarus alone. That's unheard of in the pediatric literature. And I am a pediatrician. I mean, we're doing the most dreadful things. Nuclear power is a cancer industry. It produces massive quantities of radioactive waste, which already is leaking and will over time into the food chains and bioconcentrate in the food and get into our bodies and, like your friend, cause cancer. But... The thing is that the incubation time for cancer is 5 to 60 years after you've swallowed or inhaled some radioactive material, whereas if I sneeze on you, you're sneezing in two days. So the incubation time is long enough for the nuclear industry to disclaim credit for what they're doing. But this waste lasts for up to half a million years, and that's the legacy. We're leaving it to our descendants so we can turn on our lights. And uh, Dr. Caldicott, if I'm not mistaken, uh, things like milk and such tend to be quite uh, aggressive magnets for things like leaking radiation out of power plants. Well, you need to know that uh, Hershey's Chocolates is 13 miles from Three Mile Island that had a major meltdown. We do not know the ground measurements of the fields around Hershey's where the cows graze. They bring another milk, milk too, but it's the richest dairying area in the country. And when radiation lands on the soil, the roots of the grass suck it up and concentrate it like strontium-90 thousands of times, and then the cow eats the grass and the strontium-90 is concentrated thousands more times in the cow's milk. And when we eat a Hershey's chocolates or drink that milk, the uh, strontium-90 is a calcium analogue, so it goes to lactating breast because milk is full of calcium for the baby. That can cause breast cancer. The baby drinks the milk, who, and the baby is very sensitive to radiation, far more so than adults. They can then get leukemia or bone cancer because the strontium-90 goes to the bone. The body thinks it's calcium. Um, and then if you eat a Hershey's chocolate milk kiss and it's got some strontium-90 in it, it, it is deposited in your bone, only irradiating a very tiny volume of cells. Uh, and then years later, you know, you might get a pain in your bone and your femur and go to the doctor and there's a swelling and then x-ray is taken and the doctor says, I'm sorry, you've got osteogenic sarcoma. You have to have your leg off. And these things um, metastasize or spread these cancers throughout the body to the lung, the brain and the like. And that's how people die of cancers. It spreads all over the body. So it takes a single tiny piece of strontium-90 to irradiate a single regulatory gene in a single cell to cause cancer and kill you. And that's what the nuclear power industry is up to. It's a medical problem. It's nothing to do with finance or economics or engineering or physics. It's medicine. Straight ahead, we're going to talk more with Dr. Helen Caldicott, who's received 21 honorary doctoral degrees, personally nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Linus Pauling. 
her organization, Physicians for Social Responsibility, did win the Nobel Peace Prize, has been the subject of several films, including an Academy Award nomination. Roll some tape on this, because it's not something you're going to likely get to hear again anytime soon. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. News. Reality Check. Recast. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik, and this is your Medical Minute. The search for answers regarding Americans' ever-increasing rates of depression and suicide may have identified a new contributing factor, the use of several common prescription medications and over-the-counter drugs. A recent study published in the journal of the American Medical Association revealed that nearly 40% of Americans currently take at least one medication whose known side effects include increased chance of depression and that taking additional such drugs further increases the risk with each added prescription. Perhaps even more troubling, 23.5% of Americans currently use medications that identify suicidal symptoms among their possible side effects. Roughly 200 common prescription and over-the-counter drugs sold in the U.S. are known to cause depression, and the number of Americans taking at least five different prescription medications has increased dramatically in the 2000s. R-C-L. And now for your American Minute. Law enforcement data provided to the Associated Press indicates that social media sites are dramatically affecting gang culture in Chicago and are exerting a similar influence on gangs nationwide. Tracking social media initiated gang killings is of particular importance in Chicago, where police say that the majority of the city's 650 murders in 2017 were tied to gang violence, more than those in New York City and Los Angeles put together. Chicago gang conflict mediator Rodney Phillips says that the catalyst for most present-day gang killings are online taunts and insults. Not surprisingly, the longest recently brokered gang truce included a pledge by both sides to mutually refrain from inflammatory online activity. Phillips says that insults delivered by hearsay or even face-to-face can often be shrugged off, but quote, with social media, everyone sees it. Social media is gasoline that fuels violence. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik. Recap Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. RealityCheckLive.org. Texas oil man, the war didn't go the way we planned, but now our troops are in command. We're- Breaking news. We've just received audio from ProPublica, an independent nonprofit newsroom with 75 journalists. This audio comes from inside a U.S. Customs and Border Protection facility in which children can be heard wailing. This is the first audible evidence of the separation of Central American children from their parents. Many toddlers, and controversially, they've been kept in cages. Apparently, you'll also hear some of the ICE officers speaking Spanish in the background. But primarily, you're going to hear the children who were forcibly taken from the parents. Again, this is fresh audio, first time released by ProPublica, so the American public can hear what's really going on down at the border as very small children are put in cages, like small dog cages, and are begging for their parents. Okay. 
I don't know what to say to that. It just puts me into a bit of a rage. We also have uh, our guests are on phone in Australia, another in India. So I'm asking for their patience here. Uh, One more clip to play. This just came in. It is the One America News Network, which is the part of the uh, Trump News Network, Whatever anyone thinks of the president, there is a channel dedicated to selling uh, his administration's policies, and this is their official commentary. Now page four, the Democrat effort to keep so-called immigrant families together. What a joke. What an insult to the American people. Keeping families together? What about the families separated permanently by the Democrat Party, which chooses to enable illegal criminals and terrorists in this country in killing Americans. What about the permanent separation of children from their parents who are murdered, or worse, the permanent separation of parents from their children who are victimized by murdering illegal criminals? What are we supposed to do with them? Give them a suite at the local Hyatt? At taxpayer expense? Sure. That would be fine for these fools. Enough. We're going to go into this fully next week uh i'm sorry we had that had to have that interruption we're going to go back to our regular show right now carrie harrison with you this is reality check live scientists have now discovered the difference between lean body types and the rest of us the big difference is a hormone and people with lean body types have a lot more of it it's called adiponectin adiponectin turns fat into energy If you have a lot of adiponectin, you'll be lean. If you have too little adiponectin, you'll be heavier. This means scientists have discovered the key to weight loss, and it's adiponectin. If you don't have enough adiponectin, then your adipose layer, your belly fat, grows and grows. Clinical studies show that lean people have about 40% more adiponectin than those who are clinically obese. Now. Here's the best news of all. There's a newly discovered way to increase your levels of adiponectin thanks to a 100% natural, organic, and gluten-free superfood in our adiponectin reset program. In fact, clinical studies prove it's possible to increase your adiponectin by 40% in less than 100 days. This means you can have the adiponectin levels of a lean person just three months from today. I actually lost uh, 13.4 pounds in 10 days. I felt 
the best I ever felt. A matter of three months, I was down 35 pounds and I wasn't even trying to lose any weight. In the last two months, I've lost 75 pounds. I have now lost 142 pounds in 10 pant sizes in just 14 months. First, I thought this can't be real and had to weigh myself more than once just to make sure my scale wasn't broken. It was incredible. That's right. Some people can eat almost anything and never gain weight while others seem to hold on to every calorie. Now that scientists have discovered the difference between lean body types and the rest of us is the hormone adiponectin, the best news of all is I'm going to tell you right now how to increase your levels of adiponectin. It's called the 10-Day Miracle, 10daymiracle.com. You just heard the results and they're real. I myself lost 11 pounds in just 10 days with no exercise, no going to the gym, no muscle loss, and no starvation. For this special offer, you too can lose up to 20 pounds in just 10 days for only $186. That's 25% off the retail price for the complete 10-day miracle. You get a delicious super green food blend, muscle-building amino acids, even a delicious cherry beverage that'll help you sleep and flush that fat. Best of all, this is not a starvation diet. It's a blend of organic, all-natural, gluten-free products sent directly to you. And you can eat what we call flex foods in between while stimulating your body's natural adiponectin production. Now you can finally be thin and stay thin using science and nature's own built-in gift already inside you. 10daymiracle.com simply stimulates your adiponectin so your lighter, healthier, more attractive body can also let go of many health conditions that people see especially over a certain age. Take my word for it and call 518-50-GREEN right now and get 25% off the retail price. For only $186, you get a blender shaker, a huge jug of nutritious power shake mix, your muscle-building amino acids, a detoxifying vitamin blend, and a list of flex foods you can enjoy throughout the day. And best of all, there's a 60-day money-back guarantee, no questions asked. So go to 10daymiracle.com or call or text THIN to 518-50-GREEN. Call or text THIN to 518-50-GREEN. Call or text THIN to 518-50-GREEN. 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 Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live. RealityCheckLive.org. Make sure you ping us, poke us, prod us, and palliardize us on all social media at Reality Check LV. LV for live. At Reality Check LV. As we continue to celebrate how women have changed the course of history and uh, are right now the major force behind the changes on Earth. We're talking to Dr. Helen Caldicott, probably the best-known physician uh, in the world dealing with nuclear radiation and the effects on the human body. She also is an activist and has been doing this for the last 35 years, met with President Reagan in the Oval Office and tried to dissuade him from spending what ended up to be $3 trillion on weapons, including uh, nuclear warheads and on and on. And Dr. Caldicott, 
caught uh, historically, and I remember reading uh, part of your biography. This may be anecdotal, but uh, I believe it's a great story anyway. Uh, you were able to help halt nuclear testing off of Australia by uh, pointing out what happens to men's testicles, and of course the government, being controlled by white males, uh, reacted. Yeah, well, uh, first I led the movement against the French tests in 1972, and then I found out that we in Australia have one-third of the world's richest uranium, and, and our government was about to mine it. So I went to the government, they were disinterested. I went back to the Murdoch media, who at first championed my cause on French tests. They were not interested, and I had a, had a friend who was an engine driver, and he said, look, let's write to all the unions in Australia, and at that time there were 76 unions. I went to talk to the tra- TLC Trades and Labor Council in Adelaide to all the union representatives, and if, like Australian men, they'd drunken a lot of beer. Um, <laughs> I was young and still relatively attractive then. They gave me 10 minutes, but they were talking loudly for the first five minutes. So I thought, how am I going to get their attention? So I said, I talked about the medical effects of radiation upon their testicles. Well, you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> if that's, that's one organ or two organs that those men, those unions really care about. Um, they, I finished my talk in five minutes. Uh, they said, oh, my God, we can't have this going on in Australia. They sent a telegram to the then Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam. And uh, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, which is like your AFL-CIO, brought a ban to uranium mining, transportation and exportation of uranium for five years. And it came because of that medical description. So there's always a way to get to people. Well, you know, that would be a way that would work so well with our uh, rather impotent and constipated Senate and Congress using, look what will happen to your testicles. Even though they haven't used them in years, they probably <laughs> wish they know, could. do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got big ovaries, I must say. It's exciting. Oh, ovaries? Oh, thank you. No, my ovaries have ceased to function. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're just an amazing, brave, and what a what a civilian you are! Not a subject, a civilian, a helper of humankind, a giver of life, and of course, as a physician, uh, you take not only your Hippocratic oath, but you're just your whole personality is about keeping us alive and keeping us healthy. Well, really, all I'm doing, you know, is practicing global preventive medicine. I'm just obeying the Hippocratic oath. That's all. And finally, Dr. Caldecant, you know, here we are listening. Uh, many of us have broken out into a sweat, hands wringing, beads of perspiration leaping off the fevered brows, going, well, well what the hell can I do? I mean, good God, the, the, the milk supply, the, the red meat, the uh, food. Yep. Okay, so you need to do two things. You know, you, you had a great president once called Jefferson who uh, said an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion, and you're helping to inform people but you need to learn more. Our planet is in the intensive care unit. We have an acute clinical emergency on our hands and we have to fix it. And we are all now physicians to this planet of ours. I read Grey's Anatomy to learn to become a physician and to do surgery and the like. If you read my book, Nuclear Madness, What You Can Do, you'll have enough information on nuclear power and nuclear weapons and nuclear war. And I won't even mention the president. Number two, go to my website, nuclearpolicy.org, and you will um, find out how to work with us um, to defeat these nuclear monsters. My goal is to abolish nuclear weapons between Russia and America in the next five years. They're friends, and of the 30,000 hydrogen bombs in the world, Russia and America own 95%. 
So if they get rid of their bombs, then you can say to North Korea, hey, no, you're not to do it. We're not doing it, you're not either. And you have the moral authority to police the world, number one. Number two, I want to abolish nuclear power in this country in the next five years. I could melt a reactor down in a couple of hours. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. I mean, terrorists don't need nuclear weapons. They're deployed in the form of nuclear power plants throughout your country. They all must be shut down. No more nuclear waste produced. Remember, it's a cancer industry, nuclear power. And we must fill the country up with solar collectors. There's enough wind west of the Mississippi to supply three times the amount of electricity America needs. And California recently passed a statewide law that all new manufacturing must have solar panels on the roofs. Dr. Helen Caldicott, Nobel Peace Prize winning expert on all things nuclear. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Reality Check Live. Thank you, Harrison. This pussy grabs back. Reality Check Live. This is Chris Matthews, host of The Chris Matthews Show and Hardball. You're listening to Harrison. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. Tired of trying to find a low-interest loan, especially when you're unemployed? Instead of getting a job, rely on the financial lending wizards at LendingTreeBranch.com. LendingTreeBranch.com was great because they were able to immediately give me a list of crooked bankers who wanted my business so they could screw me over royal. Now I'm further in debt, but I have the money to do the things I want. I think. Thanks, LendingTreeBranch.com. LendingTreeBranch.com is on the web. And as you all know, anything done through the cyberspace of the Internet with no tangible physical location is totally trustworthy. I didn't want to be humiliated by having some suit-wearing financial guy tell me to my face that I'm not approved for a home equity loan. So I went to LendingTreeBranch.com, and I got a form letter from a computer-generated database that told me I'm not approved. So when you need extra cash to fix up your home, toss into an offshore tax-free account, or pay off bills for all the other crap you bought from telemarketers, call us. We're LendingTreeBranch.com. Not affiliated with Olive Branch Financial, Branch Lenders Incorporated, or First Tree Financial Network. Well, it's still legal. Reality Check Live. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can also follow us on all social media at realitycheck.com. LV, LV for live at Reality Check, LV. You can also download our free app at the App Store, Reality Check Live. We'll you'll get a podcast of this and every other show, of course, on every major streaming service, a variety of FMs and AMs, coast to coast. As we celebrate women and how they literally are altering the planet right here, right now, today, I want to introduce to you another one of my superstars, a superhero of mine, Vandana Shiva. Some of you will have heard her name because she received the Right Livelihood Award, an honor known as the Alternative Nobel Prize. She's currently based in Delhi in India and has authored more than 20 books. She's one of the leaders and board members of the International Forum on Globalization and is responsible for describing what GMOs have done to the entire food supply all across India and is considered one of the greatest thinkers on the food supply in the world and what the future may look like if we don't uh, fix it up pretty quickly. Dr. Vandana Shiva, I want to welcome you to Reality Check Live. Hello. Not a whole lot needs to be said about the state of the world, whether it's nuclear weapons, whether it's GMOs and food supplies and climate change and dislocated people by the tens and tens of millions, refugees all over the world, 
skirmishes, uh, crazy governments popping up left and right. Well, I guess I've just made the right assessment. But let me hand it over to you. What are you seeing? I think it's the first time we are faced with a survival existential problem that we as a species are living in ways, or at least some people among our species are forcing others to live in ways that there is no guarantee that our species will have a future or many other species who we will take down with us. We talk in terms these days about uh, climate change. Is the horse already out of the gate? Is it too late to reverse? We have in our country here in the U.S., uh, the Trump administration, which is saying that there is no climate change. Poof. It's just it's all fake and make believe, which could mean four more years of burning coal and really firing up those oil plants. Uh, How does that look to the other people around the world? Well, you know, I've done a whole book on climate change. It's called Soil Not Oil, of course, participated in not just the negotiations um, at the U.N. level, but worked with governments on um, on policies for mitigation and adaptation. Um, first and foremost, um, to say that climate havoc is not taking place is to be in the ultimate denial. And so we talk of climate chaos. We talk of climate uncertainty, and no one can say lives aren't being lost. We lost 20,000 people in my region. 1999, a super cyclone of Orissa took away the lives of 30,000 people. And that's just my country, one country, India. Droughts, slow killers. Um, But I think the bigger focus has to become that there are solutions, real solutions. And my work has shown that A, the saving of seeds, of climate resilient seeds, we saved salt tolerant seeds, We were able to use them to rejuvenate agriculture after cyclones, after the tsunami. These are not inventions. Monsanto's labs don't create climate resilience. It is farmers breeding and nature's evolution. Secondly, we know that through organic farming, we do have a real solution, both in terms of adapting and creating resilience, but also in terms of mitigating, pulling out the excess carbon dioxide that's stocked up in the atmosphere and putting it in the soil where it actually belongs. It doesn't be- Excess carbon dioxide doesn't belong in the air, but carbon belongs to the soil. Living carbon belongs to the soil. The third very, very important issue is that this is a very important aspect of climate justice. Because the same economy that is destabilizing the climate is also leading to land grab. It's also leading to oil wars. It is also creating the fossil fuel agriculture, which is responsible for 50% of all greenhouse gas emissions. And if we shift to ecological agriculture, not only do we address the climate problem, we produce real food, good food. We allow small farmers and family farms to stay on the land and we build back the economy and we reclaim democracy. That's why I always say it's with the seed and the soil and your food. You begin with challenging this infrastructure of less than 1% trying to grab the resources of the world and the democracy of the world. And so in Paris, we planted a garden of hope and we said, even if governments fail, we cannot fail the planet. We cannot fail 
our people. We cannot fail our future generations. It is in our hands to now start thinking much more of what is it that we as an earth community can do than looking at people who've already betrayed the planet and people. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can also please follow us on all social media at Reality Check LV. We're talking right now with Dr. Vandana Shiva. She is in Delhi, India. She is the world's foremost expert on food sovereignty, on GMOs, on globalization, on what it means, and has taken the billion-person population of India into a brand-new frontier of wisdom, looking at their traditional practices and ways into the future, plus how everything is interconnected and where we stand today as we hang in the balance. It's interesting, Dr. Vandana Shiva, whom we're talking to right now. I was at a family reunion in Wisconsin, a very agriculturally centric state, and there were cornfields that went miles in every direction. And I saw dead butterflies, and I was talking to my cousin, who's a crop duster there, and their relationship, many of the farmers with Monsanto, is they're, they're sort of connected. Uh, they buy the seeds. The seeds are sterile because they're genetically modified, and so they won't reproduce. So these farmers in Wisconsin and neighboring Iowa and Illinois have to actually sort of relicense, almost like rent the seeds year after year when their parents just had seeds. When an apple dropped, it would make a new apple automatically as long as you had sun and rain. We're talking about a whole new system now that that farmers are dealing with. Well, you know, it is precisely the imposition of the system which is accounting for 95% of the cultivation in the United States uh, when it was being imposed on the rest of the world and India through free trade agreements like the WTO, its intellectual property rights agreement, uh, corporations like Monsanto claiming seed to be their invention, collecting royalties, uh, forcing farmers to buy seed every year. That is what precisely led me to start the movement called Navdanya to save seeds in order to save freedom. And in these 30 years, we've created 120 community seed banks. We have done Satyagres, the non-cooperation. Anytime a law is brought, a Monsanto law is brought in India, we basically say we will not obey, just like when the British tried to impose salt laws. Gandhi walked to the beach, pulled out the salt from the sea and said, nature gives it for free. We need it for our survival. We will continue to make salt. We will not obey your laws. And we say, nature has given these seeds. Our ancestors have bred them. We owe it to future generations to pass them on in the integrity, diversity, beauty with which we have received them. Therefore, we will not obey any law that comes in the way of our duty to the earth and future generations because it is those higher duties that define both our freedoms as well as our responsibilities. And I have to say, not only have we prevented laws of the kind that Monsanto would like in India from being implemented, we won every case against them, not just nationally, but internationally, wherever Monsanto has tried to make it illegal for farmers to save seed. In the last decade, 
the seed freedom movement that Navdanya started has rolled back law after law after law. So I think reclaiming the seed as the source of food, as a source of economic democracy and food freedom is reclaiming the seeds of democracy to know when it is your duty to say no. After all, Thoreau said, slavery is something I cannot support. I must engage in civil disobedience. If Martin Luther King had not given a call of not cooperating with unjust laws of racial discrimination, discrimination would still be legal um, in this country. And today, if there's a resistance to a new institutionalizing of racism, it's because of all those efforts that have gone in the past. At one level, what we are being called to do in our times is to remember every good effort humanity has made to fight every negative force, the force of greed, the force of sexism and domination of women and violence against women, the force of racism and domination on the basis of the color of your skin, uh, especially when um, all it is is a pigment and, be, you know, <laughs> underneath we are all the same, we are one humanity. I think it's a moment we are being called on to live truly as one earth family and one humanity. And no other generation has been given this opportunity. We cannot let this pass. Carrie Harrison here with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org, all social media at realitychecklv. Talking right now with Dr. Vandana Shiva, who has a degree in physics, also has received the Right Livelihood Award, which is known as the Alternative Nobel Prize, and is the world's leading expert on GMOs, globalization, and how we mammalian creatures can survive this curious human experiment. For a lot of people who aren't going to really understand the backstory of Monsanto, and we don't need to break that down here, but the end game of a company like Monsanto flooding the earth and basically taking over the seed supply, which ends up being the food, water, shelter, all of it, every life as we know it, putting patents on it and, and running and corralling all of that. What is the end game? Is it just to make money and have complete and ultimate power? Or is it the noble thing that they put on their website? They're just feeding the world. <laughs> well, it's definitely not feeding the world, and they know it as well as anyone else, because there is no increase in yields because of genetic engineering. Uh, Europe, which has no GMOs, does much better in agricultural productivity, and these studies are out. Even the New York Times was forced to put it up, put it out. Um, the objective is, of course, profits, but I think this level of profits goes hands in hand with a deeper insecurity. And that insecurity, in my view, comes from being afraid of everything is free and independent of you and alive. Why would anyone want to control the seed? We need to celebrate the freedom of the seed to evolve to diversity, to resilience, to quality, to multiplication, to renewal. I think there's a fear of small farmers, for the day independent. They don't need these toxics. But control and profits together go, is what is at it. And my new book, Resurgence of the Real, which uh, should be out soon, um, I have written about how this level of control is now not just global, but it is intersectoral. Monsanto has bought up the Climate Data Corporation, the Soil Data Corporation, the Bee Research Institute. It has now joined forces with Silicon Valley to put spyware into um, 
into tractors and to put surveillance into drones, uh, why are they so afraid of a simple act like farming? And this role of surveillance as vital to grow your food is even madder than the role of poisons and GMOs to grow your food. You know, growing food is celebrating the best of nature <laughs> and your capacity to co-create with, uh, with nature. And so it's really about the fundamental freedom in nature and people versus the deepest insecurity in the hearts of the powerful. And I really do believe that it is that urge of freedom that eventually will show the future, not surveillance drones. And we see just neighboring south of here, the dreaded Mexico. I say dreaded because I speak on behalf of the current State Department, the dreaded Mexico. And they have somehow been able to avoid much of this GMO toxification of their seed supply. Though we here in the United States brag that we're the greatest democracy that Aristotle ever knew, uh, they in Mexico somehow have been pulling it off as little tiny subsistence farmers. How do you get how do you do that? Well, you know, I have actually been to Mexico again and again and again to lend them support in their resistance to not allow Monsanto's GMO corn. Uh, And on on the issue of south of you being Mexico, if I remember my history right, wasn't this land also Mexico (laughs) at the time? Um, But coming back to the issue of corn... Mexicans have evolved corn from a wild plant called teosinte into the thousands of varieties. They see themselves as the people of corn. They do not see a division between corn and the human being. And that is why they have such deep mobilization from the deepest resources within them, cultural, spiritual, to say no. And I have been there when they perform the most beautiful indigenous ceremonies in Oaxaca to say we will not accept it. I have been there to submit interventions in the court. I have been there in the Senate to lend support. So it is really across society there is this consensus that we are the people of corn and we will not be contaminated. We're doing a trip with KPFK coming up in May. We are going to Cuba. We're going to visit some of their green space. They're famous since the 1960s, have this biosphere uh, that they never let go of, and they celebrate it. They like it. They don't think it's a bad idea. And we're going to be eyewitnesses of something that's now 50 years old and still seems like a novel idea here. The Cubans still use, obviously, regular seeds, and they think it's a good idea. Uh What's your sense of how the Cubans are doing it? Well, you know, I think everyone who is panicking because there's been a regime change in the United States should turn to Cuba to learn. After all, it was the trade sanctions of Cuba that made Cuba organic. And not just organic in a trivial sense, organic as leading country. I have been to Cuba for the organic program and to see the urban gardens produce abundant food, no chemical 
industrial system could produce the kind of food they produce. But more important than that is the fact that all those vegetables are then put out at the gate for anyone to take. Food for them is a commons. Seed for them is a commons. And reclaiming the commons is the only way our species will have a future. Not through privatizing the air, not through privatizing the water, not through privatizing our democracy, not through privatizing and poisoning our food system. So here is a society, a small society that turned the worst of adversities of the sanctions against fertilizers and oil and said, we will become fossil fuel free in our agriculture. And they've shown the way. The whole world needs to follow that way in agriculture. The whole world needs to follow that way in turning adversity into a new creativity. Wow. You know, we at our panel on Sunday, where, by the way, you shown in your thousand watts of halogen landing lamps, like on a 747, I, I just, I, <laughs> I love being in your orbit. It's like fuel and food for me. And, and as I said, if I could have more women in politics and in power, that nurturing spirit would clearly be the soothing emollient to our particularly troubled spirit right now. Economy cannot be eight men controlling half the wealth of the world. (laughs) I mean, it's a bit ridiculous. And democracy cannot be those rich men stealing representation and deciding exactly who will be a cabinet minister and who will be a president. So we have to reclaim democracy of the deepest kind. And Gandhi knew this all along. And he called it Swaraj, self-rule, self-governance. Self-governance, not just in terms of a distant authority, but self-governance in terms of where you are. You as a person, your community, and radiating outwards into a beautiful uh, description he made. He said, I don't want to see the world as a pyramid where the top crushes the bottom that supports it. I see the world as an ever-expanding, never-ascending oceanic circle where every person is a center of the circle and the outermost circumference lends support to everything within. We have to become one oceanic circle of one planet, one Earth family. And I really do invite my fellow citizens here in this country who are feeling in despair, come to India, come and see how women in the most deep poverty never give up their power. Their power is theirs to reshape their lives. Power is not something someone else gives you. Power is something you exercise through your life. Dr. Vandana Shiva, thank you so much for joining us today on Reality Check Live. That was Dr. Vandana Shiva. Her work spans from teaching at universities worldwide to working with peasants in rural India. Time magazine identified Dr. Shiva as an environmental hero. Asia Week has called her one of the five most powerful communicators in Asia. And Forbes magazine has identified her as one of the seven most powerful women on the globe. When I think of us spinning somewhere out in space, I feel so much for the whole human race. I think of the people I knew who cared for me I think of the few who are still really there for me I think of the blunders, all the wonders too I think of me, I 
Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. RealityCheckLive.org.